Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy, thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. I really hope that you are enjoying this series on sustainability at scale as much as I am. There's so many interesting stories to tell about companies and technologies and innovations that are happening right now in agriculture that seek to make us not only more productive, but more sustainable. And that's on multiple levels. Uh, environmental sustainability, resource sustainability, economic sustainability, the way that we can make agriculture continue to be productive, but continue to be productive for the long term, not at the expense of uh, our future or our children's future or their children's future. So I'm excited. I love this series. I love the stories we're getting to get to tell. And today is no different. Uh, Before I dive too much into today's guest, I want to mention that we are part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. So if you love ag podcasts, head over to farmruralag.com and check that out for more ag podcasts and vlogs with a V and blogs with a B. Uh, check all those out uh, at farmruralag.com. On the show today, we have Jim Lohr, who is the CEO of Cool Planet. And Cool Planet makes a an engineered biocarbon or biochar type product, which is a soil amendment. This, when applied to the rhizosphere, which is the root zone of a plant in a, in a commercial crop setting, can create a, a capacity, a habitat for beneficial microbes, which they have proven in over 100 studies, can increase the performance of that crop. It's pretty exciting when you think about it. I, I've always known about, or for a long time, I've known about biochar and start, sort of had it in my mind as a, kind of a backyard soil amendment or maybe on a very small scale. Uh, but through their trials, Cool Plant planet is proving that this can actually be uh, beneficial on a commercial scale. So this fits right in nicely with our series sustainability at scale. Uh, Jim joined Cool Planet in 2015 as chief commercial officer of the engineered biocarbon technology business unit. Uh, He was promoted quickly by the board of directors to president and CEO of Cool Planet in September 2016. Before Cool Planet, uh, Jim has been an agricultural industry veteran. He was with Wilbur Ellis Company, the fourth largest ag retailer in the U.S., where he served as Vice President of Operations for the $2.1 billion Ag Division. I think you're really going to enjoy this. He has fantastic perspective on both agriculture and uh, sustainability and how it affects the future of agriculture through this biochar uh, type product. So enjoy this interview. Jim is going to launch right into, on a basic level, what is engineered biocarbon? <music> So engineered biocarbon technology is basically a biochar-based material uh, that's designed to work in a soil, much like a coral reef would work in the ocean. So a reef supports soil life by providing structure, resources, and habitat uh, in an ocean that would probably otherwise be relatively barren if, if the floor were barren. Kutera supports soil life by really increasing the structure of the soil, which helps increase water holding capacity of the soil, uh, helps hold nutrients and fertilizers in a rhizosphere of plants. And really, you know, some some pretty interesting thing is it tends to create a a habitat in the soil. 
for soil biology, soil microbes, much like the coral reef uh, analogy would in the ocean. Um, healthy soils are, at the end of the day, living ecosystems with billions and billions of microbes that, that work to protect protect crops against pests that, that help with water intake by, by our crops. Uh, the soil biology helps provide critical nutrients to growing plants. And Kulterra's properties are specifically engineered to enhance those things, things like water, nutrient holding capacity of the soil, uh, the nutrient exchange in the root zone, infiltration in clay soils and structure in sandy soils. Uh, creating an environment for beneficial microbial populations, uh, and doing that through a, through a through material science and kind of the nexus between material science and uh, agronomy, uh, so that you provide for long-term soil health, long-term sustainability, and at the end of the day, something pretty pretty unique to this material is. Uh, carbon sequestration. Hmm. Ooh, I want to get into more of that, but just to, before I do, when I hear the word biochar, I, I think of, you know, something biological, maybe a wood or plant, plant material that is somehow burnt. <laughs> you hear char, you, hear, you think burnt. Am I thinking along the right lines there about biochar or, or help help uh, clear that up for us? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key things to think about today maybe is, is if you look at soils across the globe, there is there is a fraction there is a certain fraction of different types of carbon in in native soils. There's there's compost like manure like very labile forms of carbon. Uh, there are humic forms of carbon which which also is it can both both the labile forms and the humic forms can be viewed as as uh, in my mind at least as as food for the soil biology. And then there's a fraction of fixed or recalcitrant carbon, carbon that's that's going to be in the soil for a long, long, long period of time. Uh, and you're absolutely correct. That was that was made um, naturally and typically by pyrogenic effects. So so forest fires, grass fires, uh, all would have created the fixed carbon that's in our native soils. And, and remember that, that those phenomena occurred over, over the millennia that it took to, to really build our soil. So biochar has long been uh, looked at and hoped for as a, as a real carbon-rich soil enhancer that had uh, potential application in agriculture. It is widely acknowledged for its potential to support soil health. Uh, however, if we just think of bio, the word biochar or raw biochar, it can perform unpredictably, and, and the results in soil uh, are variable, often variable, uh, due, to, due to a lot of factors. The, the wide variety of biomass that was used to, uh, to, to manufacture the biochar, was it a, a solid wood material or was it a, a grass material? Uh, the manufacturing conditions of which it was produced under uh, can lead to to a lot of variability in the in the quote biochar. Um, typically, biochar uh, hasn't gone through a a post char treatment process that would uh, that would take out some of the inconsistencies of the material, and that and that's really 
from a science and a materials a material science standpoint and agronomy standpoint that's really what we're all about how do we how do we produce a how do we produce a material that that science and agronomy has looked at for 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 a number of years and produce a a high quality consistent material that that does the things that we've long hoped for that it would do yeah, and so is that what people when they buy Cool Terra rather than just getting biochar, they know they're getting that consistency? Is that right? No, that is absolutely correct. So we're very specific in our raw material selection. We've we've looked at and studied and 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 through science over fifty different raw material sources. Um, the raw material selection is vitally important. The manufacturing process and applying modern manufacturing techniques and process, controlling, controlling heat, controlling residence time, things like that for consistency is important. So all of that is important in, in arriving at a, a high quality char. Uh, then what we do is we put the material, the raw biochar through a process we call Demetra. Uh, the Demetra process is a post char treatment process. So it works to enhance some of the some take remove some of the inconsistencies that are often found in a in a in a biochar. Um, and what we want to end up with is a very consistent, durable, granular material that uh, that's high in fixed organic carbon. Um, and we want to do some of the things that. Uh, that uh, a lot of you know maybe a typical biochar would have some problems with. So uh, I love UC Davis. UC Davis is one of the uh, the preeminent universities studying biochar. If you look at their if you look at their website and go to their their biochar section, uh, you'll see the variability that can that can be resident in biochar. So you'll see pH. Uh, let's, let's take pH, for example, anywhere from 4 to 12, so pretty wide range. Um, we try to take it, our product to a consistent, uh, consistent 6.8 to 7.0 uh, every batch, every sack. Typical, typical biochars are, are, are hydrophobic. They, they're water repelling. Uh, that's not very good when you're talking about the soil and right. the root zone of root zone of a plant. Yeah. So in our process, we we flip the material to hydrophilic, water loving. Um, a lot of times in in biochar type materials, you'll have you have hydrocarbon residues and perhaps other toxins. So polyaromatic hydrocarbons, volatile organic compounds. Our process strips those out. Doing all of those things really we're working on the porosity of our material, right? And that's that's the benefit of a quote biochar or a or a treated biochar type material is how do you capture the porosity and maximize the the porosity? Uh, that's what helps with your water holding capacity. That's what helps hold your nutrients and fertilizer in the root zone of a plant. That porosity provides the the habitat for for the soil biology so our material is about two to three hundred uh, meters squared per gram of material so literally if you take a very small amount of our material and 
and uh, kind of folded out all the nooks and crannies, you'd basically have the surface area of a football field. And and that gives it its very unique capabilities. Um, and I'd say the last thing from a from a consistency standpoint, from a material science standpoint, once you arrive at a material that has value in the soil, uh, then you really need to think about okay, how am I going to get it to the soil? What what farm equipment do I need to use to apply it? And having a, a consistent granular product that will that will work through a drop spreader, a gandy box, a John Deere corn planter, you know, is just critical because at the end of the day, a farmer's not going to buy a farmer's not going to buy a separate piece of equipment to put a, a biochar or an engineered biocarbon out. So, so that's really what what our process, our, our manufacturing and processing techniques and practices are all about. Well, it's it's clear you've put an incredible amount of of R and D into this, and I know I saw a a press release that you completed your one hundredth trial. Could you just share maybe the top couple findings uh, from from doing a hundred different trials with uh, Coolterra? Yeah, I think you know two or three years ago we set out to uh, uh, we set out thinking about our material and thinking about the 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 proof that that if you're going to market a product in agriculture uh, people have to believe in your material and that really you know you go through all the internal R&D the lab and bench you do greenhouse trials you may do small strip trials on your own but but basically you have to have credible credible professionals that are independent uh, look at your material in various situations and various crops so we we designed a program uh, that thus far we're I think we're in two and a half years now, where we have done over a hundred trials with fifty different universities and independent third party you know credible independent third party researchers across a number of crops uh, across the United States, so a lot of different growing conditions. Um, the program uh, scientifically based, random block replicated. Uh, basically, what we look at is in a given crop, in a div- given geography, what are the, the standard grower practices? Mm-hmm. And, and we, we do grower, standard grower practices versus standard grower practices plus Kultera as a, as a rhizosphere amendment. Okay. Um, I use the word rhizosphere amendment versus, uh, soil amendment because what we're we're really interested in is treating the rhizosphere of the of the crop uh, versus the entire soil aggregate to, to, to really try to be efficient with the use of the material okay. um, so some of the some of the learning and, and rhizosphere refu- refers to root zone basically yes sir rhizosphere is root zone yep. so instead of treating the entire field uh, you know down to a depth of, of four to six inches we're talking about about just treating the root zone and and to a depth that uh, the roots are going to be in contact with the material. Okay. So the roots are going to be in contact with the material, uh, uh, able to gain the water holding capacity of the soil and of the material. Uh, the material holds the fertilizers and and nutrients in the root zone. So so you're putting the material where it gets its biggest impact. Um, so some of the key learnings. Uh, number one, you have to have water and you have to have fertilizer to grow a crop. Okay, that 
I think that's number one. Without either one of those, none of us are going to be here very long. Right. But uh, but what we discovered in our in our trials is if we reduced water or we reduced fertilizer versus a grower standard, and then compared that to the same reduction of water or the same reduction of fertilizer, but with the addition of Coolterra, we outperformed the non-Coolterra amendments. That you know irrefutably proved that we can talk about fertilizer and new, new nutrient efficiency and fertilizer efficiency uh, with our product. So that was a good learning for us. That was that was valuable to know, and that's that's part of our label claims. I think secondly, what we've learned is that when we put the material in soil, uh, so a treated versus untreated, we see an increase in, in, in DNA sequenced and done microbial counts uh, to prove that that we see an increase in the native soil biology. Now that's important because those those critters in the soil do an awful lot of good things for for plant productivity and soil health. So this gets back to thinking about the material as a as a little bit like a coral reef in the ocean. We're providing the habitat for the soil biology, the microbiology of the soil to to colonize and grow and prosper. So, you know, what we what we all hope for is that we could put the good guys, the critters that are good guys in a better position to uh to outcompete the bad guys. And if and if we can do that, you know, the promise is maybe someday we can we can better understand that uh that we can help, you know, control pests, for example. Um a lot of work to be done on that. I'm not suggesting that we know everything there is to know about it, but uh, but I think if we can all focus on putting putting uh, having soil health and putting the good biology in a position to outcompete, it just stands to reason that uh, that we'll we have the chance to potentially reduce uh, reduce pesticide use or or pest pressure. Let's say. Um, third thing, probably most important from a commercial standpoint that we've learned is across those hundred trials, and this is, this is metadata. So this is all hundred trials, 40 or 50 different crops, a lot of different growing conditions, a lot of different farming practices. We are outperforming, uh, the grower standard treatment. In other words, grower standard versus grower standard plus Coolterra as an addition by uh, a little over 12%. Um, so that's, that's significant. Mm -hmm. Um, agriculture is a, agriculture is an industry that kind of lives and dies by, by small increments, right? Increments in yield or, or, uh, increments in control of pests or increments in fertilizer, fertilizer utilization. So, so we think 12.3 is pretty good. You know, obviously it's a very diverse biological, biological system that we're talking about. So we have trials that are, that are below 12.3, and we have trials that are above 12.3. But uh, if I remember, remember correctly, 12.3 um, is exactly the the average number across those hundred trials, and 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 we feel pretty good about that. Um, we feel real good about that. I think the other another key learning is is that the material has application across a wide variety of crops. Uh, thus far, we've not really come up against a crop that it didn't work on or that we would, would caution against use. So 
whether that's a you know a permanent crop or that's a an alfalfa crop that might be in the ground for three or four years or that's a corn crop that's an annual. Uh, we think the material has application in all those various crops. How many years will you get value fr- from an application? Is it is it kind of a one and done, or it seems like it would live in the soil for quite some time? Yeah, the material has a half-life literally of hundreds of years. Okay, so if you think about the various forms of carbon, so labile carbon or, or compost, manure-type carbons uh, are consumed relatively quickly. Um, humics persist in the soil a little bit longer. A, a true fixed carbon, uh, such as our engineered biocarbon, will last in the soil for a very, very long time. Okay, so but here's here's something that we have to consider um, in a permanent crop. Let's say you're planting a pecan tree or an apple tree. Yes, it's a one and done. You want to put the material in at establishment, get it off to a good, fast, healthy start. And um, the material will be in the soil basically for the life of the tree, uh, doing what it does. Let's say you're in a corn crop that's an annual crop. That's you're looking at, you know, fairly low use rates, uh, probably drilled in at time of seeding right in the seed row. Uh, That low, low amount of material, 15 to 20 pounds. Uh, you're going to be repeating that every year for the rest of your life. Uh, when you look at bedded crops, you know, such as strawberries or tomatoes, uh, you could be looking at anywhere from 100 to 200 pounds to the acre. Um, in, you know, in the bed, you're, you're looking at, at multiple years that you would put it out until you get, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is there's kind of a rate response curve, and we understand the rate response curve very well. Um, It's fairly consistent across crops. Um, To be efficient and effective and affordable, we want to go with the lowest rate that we can go with and still bring value to the grower. And, And basically, that's going to require annual application in most crops. Well, let me say in all crops, with the exception of permanent crops, such as tree plantings or vines. Um, The other thing to think of, different farmers, different farmers have different beliefs and different different ways of thinking about their soil. Uh, We do know farmers that that uh, would like to get to the rate response, top of the rate response curve in one year and be done with it. Uh, We have other farmers who who would like to you know, kind of take the 401k approach and, and kind of build their soil up over time. So I think one thing that you and I both know about agriculture is there's a huge amount of variability. And But uh, thus far, we've seen that the material can uh, fit, fit most all growing conditions, crops, and uh, all the variation that we see across the grower community. And now just a quick word from our Sustainability at Scale series sponsor, Marone Bio Innovations. Hey, ever heard of Marone's Bio with Bite? Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy 
of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O.com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. I know you mentioned in the trials how obviously this is building soil health because you can see it in the results of, of the productivity. Uh, are there other metrics of, of maybe long-term soil health that, that you can measure um, or maybe have you measured in the trials to where you could say, look, even, you know, even though, yes, you're getting more productivity and that's the economic reason to put it on, but also here's the soil health environmental reason as well. Well, I think the buildup of the soil biology is a real plus and, and as long, long as that material is there and doing what it does, uh, you can sustain that. So I think building up the, uh, building up the soil biology, uh, basically the, 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 the critter count is, is a positive soil health message, um, in reality. Uh, look, think about fixed carbon also from a, from a sustainability standpoint. So, uh, our growing plants, let's take a pine tree, for example, is taking CO2 in out of the atmosphere, uh, converting it into carbon. Basically, that's, that's the tree. We, we harvest that tree. Uh, we convert it into Cool Terra, our, our engineer biocarbon product through our, through our manufacturing and process. And that goes in the soil and goes in the soil and stays there for literally hundreds of years. So basically, we're sequestering carbon. Um, different people look at that different ways. It, one ton of cool terra equals about 2.7 tons of CO2 removed from the atmosphere. That's, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it might be full life cycle. Uh, so all the way through the manufacturing process to the farmer application, there you're probably looking at one ton of cool terra equaling about one ton of CO2 removed from the atmosphere. Um, some people like to talk about just carbon sequestration. So uh, the material's slightly in excess of 70% fixed carbon. So if you put a if you put a ton of uh, cool terra in the ground, you're basically sequestering 0.7 tons of, of true fixed carbon. Uh, I think all of those, if, if we think about sustainability, we think about all of us trying to reduce our carbon footprint, uh, I think that, that cool terra and our engineer biocarbon offers, offers a very unique tool to be able to uh, contribute to carbon uh, sequestration and and thus lower your your overall carbon footprint of your of your farming operation. And I would think you know with something like this, it's uh, it, it, the material even even in like you said corn maybe you're putting on 15 pounds of the acre, but for some of these big farms, you know that adds up to be a fair amount of material. And I know you know one thing we we've talked about before on the show is is the problem with food waste is. Uh, getting the nutrition nutritional value out of it, you've got to move a lot of water around, and moving water around is expensive because it's heavy. Do you run into a similar problem here, where you know it's heavy to move carbon around, so sometimes it, it becomes uh, economically not feasible? Um, I think when you're talking about you know large scale row crops, and you're talking about 
you know, 15 to 20 pounds per acre uh, drilled in at time of, of seeding. Uh, I think we're we're fairly early in in the process of understanding exactly uh, the best methodology for application in in that environment. Thus far, we've been using insecticide boxes on uh, on corn planters and and you know corn planters, cotton planters, peanut planters, soybean planters. Uh, because of genetics, seed genetics, a lot of those uh, insecticide boxes are not being used today. Uh, so we've been kind of using those as a surrogate for application. Um, so in that environment, it's it's certainly less bulky than than fertilizer, right? If you're you know you'd be putting on much in excess of uh, 15 to 20 pounds an acre in corn. Uh, with for fertilizer, mm-hmm. uh, regardless, it still is. It's a bulk material. You know, we look at it in uh, agriculture. We package it in uh, super sacks that are basically a thousand pounds. Uh, so a farmer has to have have the ability to pick up a thousand pound sack and you know put that over top of his his planter or gandy box or drop spreader. So, so there are some, you know, I, I won't get away from the fact that there are some challenges, um, but, but I think the material is performing well enough that, that farmers are going to get creative or they're going to know their equipment well enough to find a way to use the material. This next question, um, I'd like to take credit for it because it's a smart question, but I can't. It's, it's actually asked by Karen Corrigan, who's from uh, Girls, Talk pa- Girls Talk Ag Podcast, and she's an agronomist. But she, she wanted to know about um, you know it being carbon-based, and does that mean that a farmer might need to apply more uh, nitrogen because of the added carbon uh, that maybe ties it up? No, I think that's a. I think that is a. Uh, I think that's a great question. So, in general, the theory does exist that that the more carbon applied means the greater amount of nitrogen that's tied up. But but really, the important thing to remember or to note about about the 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 general uh, C to N ratio theory that we all talk about, know, and have have, have learned is that that's really based on labile forms of carbon. So that's based on manures or compost or or cover crops, you know, incorporated back in the soil. All things that, that break down very quickly. On the other hand, cool terra, again, is a fixed carbon. Mm-hmm. And I get a little frustrated by all the discussion about carbon in ag because, you know, the real key is we need to understand the different fractions of carbon, whether they're labile or whether they're recalcitrant or whether they're humic fractions. But, but anyway, cool terra is a fixed carbon, which means it's, it's not going to break down quickly. Uh, in fact, it maintains its properties for hundreds of years and really does not impact the C to N ratio. Um, UC Davis. Uh, very, very well-known ag, ag schools conducted a number of studies that show that fixed carbon material will will actually not impact the C to N ratio in any meaningful way. Uh, a number of, of our field trials show yield improvements where the same amount of nitrogen was applied uh, with cool terra treated parots as the grower standard, and, and we're actually outperforming the grower standard. So, um, yeah, I think I think the real key there for all of us is that 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 there are different fractions of different types of of carbon in our soil. 
and I think they're they're probably all necessary. Um, you know, I think that's how the soil was created. I think that's how plants evolved to expect different fractions of different types of carbon. I think fixed carbon is very symbiotic with with humics. I think it's very symbiotic with with manure or compost. Uh, I think our trials would would bear that out. Um, so I, you know, generally like us from a from a soil health and a carbon standpoint, think about all the different types of carbon uh, and the ratios of those and and fractions of them and how they may all be necessary for, you know, optimizing soil health. Great. And I, I love all the UC Davis shout outs. That's my alma mater. So I, okay. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm all about them. So that, that's great. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm an Ohio university Bobcat. So a little, little, little far apart from UC Davis. Yeah. But, yeah, but you uh, probably have a better football team than we do. I imagine. <laughs> uh, maybe some years. Yeah. Um, another question that I, I got, um, actually, th- this came up on, on Twitter. Uh, Rob Walbridge, who, who's real active on Twitter, a, a big advocate for organic agriculture, asked if, if the biochar industry is doing anything to uh, ensure consistency, comparability. I know this is an issue you brought up earlier um, of, of the product and process. Are, are they coming up with any sort of standards? Um, obviously, with your product, Colterra, that's that's one of your differentiating factors. Is Is everything else kind of uh, standardized at all? Well, part of the problem is, is definitional, right? So, um, you know, a razor blade is made out of stainless steel, but it's a little different than, you know, just a flat plate of stainless steel, right? It, there's just different, um, it just has different value propositions. It just, it performs a different service. Uh, I think the problem with the word biochar uh, would be things like this. Was it, was it made from manure? Uh, was it made from a pine tree? Uh, was it made from yard waste or leaf and tree trimmings? All of, all of those things are going to impact uh, the quality of the material, how it works in the soil, um, you know, its impact on soil biology. You know, we've we've learned a lot about that and how the different the different critters, some you know, gram positive, gram negative, and all that respond differently to different uh, materials put in the soil that that are all called fixed carbon and all called quote biochar. So the word biochar is a huge word. Uh, you know, I hate to be a uh, I hate to be a uh, an advertisement for UC Davis, but but I would just urge people to go to their website and look at the variability of that word. Uh, now, I'll try to answer your question. Uh, yes, folks are working toward uh, standards that that could be employed that would would potentially take out some of that some of that variability. Uh, the U.S. Biochar Initiative uh, is is one such organization. I'm hopeful and optimistic that the industry standards are progressing for consistency and comparability to provide growers confidence and tools. But I think we're going to have to get it uh, at some point. We're going to have to have a narrower definition of the word biochar uh, uh, so that we're we're all talking about the same thing. Um, we use raw biochar as our feedstock. We we manufacture, you know, and then we refine, enhance, and and use product engineering to create 
uh, our Kultera product, um, you know, and we're, we're, we're pretty, pretty adamant about, about the quality that that has to be before it goes into its, its post-chart treatment process. Uh, the, the, the raw material selection, the manufacturing conditions. So I think, I think we're going to have to get more focused on, uh, on, on definition, uh, for biochar before we make a huge amount of progress. One of the other episodes we did for this series was with, uh, David Perry from Indigo Ag, and they're, they've got their kind of microbial solutions to, to a lot of plant problems. I, I wonder, you know, and this may be just out of left field, but with, with a product like Colterra and, and the advantage being in the porous nature of it, I, I wonder if there's an opportunity to also have sort of infused, uh, cool Terra products where they're arriving not just with the the habitat for this microbial activity, but also some of the key microbes themselves. Is that something that you think might be down the line? I think you're pretty perceptive. I think that's a great question, right? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be honest with you. So some of the materials that the, that the biological developer developers are using today as a delivery mechanism for their materials. Uh, range from peat to clay. Um, and there are probably other materials that are less widely used. And these are, these are companies that are, uh, you know, startups in the biological space. And a lot of them are, you know, large multinationals. So what, what I can say, uh, without any specifics is, yes, we have, uh, science trials and R and D trials ongoing with a number of those companies uh, to look at the material as a, as a potential delivery mechanism for, for their, their biology. Um, we believe that, that we can engineer uh, a material that, that a gram-positive critter might like, and it might be a different material for a gram-negative critter. So really producing to spec uh, producing to science and aligning the, the biology and the material, uh, is, is in its early stage. But, uh, here's the parallel that I would like to draw. So I guess the parallel I like to draw is that, uh, I think Amazon's a great company. Uh, I don't think it would be a very good company without UPS. Uh, and FedEx, and all we want to be, you know, potentially in the biological spaces, is we want to facilitate the biologicals business just like uh, UPS and FedEx facilitates Amazon's business. So, so your your question was very perceptive, and and is an area of of science and agronomy and microbiology that that we're working with a lot of people on. Oh, this is so fascinating. Well, Jim Laura on the podcast, president and CEO of Cool Planet. Jim, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I, I really enjoyed this. And uh, I love that analogy at the end, too, about about being the delivery mechanism um, while building soil health long term as well. Very cool. Thank you for being on the show. If somebody wants to learn more, either they're a producer or they're just you know really interested in, in Cool Terra, where would you point them to to get started? Yes, I think they, they could uh, easily go to our website, um, coolterra.com. Be a great place to go to learn about the company or get in contact with us, um, you know, or, or give us a call. And we're happy to, uh, happy to engage.
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jim Lore. I know I did. Thank you, Jim, for being on the show. And thank you for Rob and Karen for submitting questions via Twitter. I would love to hear you if there's a question that I failed to ask Jim in this interview. Let's hear your follow-up. I want to start playing these. Uh, we, we have got a few of them from previous episodes, so I'm going to try to figure out where the best place is to plug these in, in the future. So anyway, if there's a question I didn't ask Jim you'd like to ask, go to speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com forward slash future of ag, all one word. Go to that URL. You can leave a message right there. Just introduce yourself and leave the one question you wish I would have asked Jim in this interview. You might hear that played on a future episode along with Jim response. So thanks so much for listening. I'm loving this series. Big thank you to Marone Bio Innovations for making it possible. And we will be back next week with another episode in this series, Sustainability at Scale. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.